All right, people. Welcome back to the Black Muse Podcast. I am your host, Jason Muse, aka the Black Muse. And we are back for another deep dive episode. I am honored uh, to have the following special guest with me. This is yet another person that I met from Clubhouse. It's kind of where I get all of my guests. Uh, this person uh, might literally be the corniest person I've ever met in my entire life. But she's a sweetheart and she's doing some big things. And um, I'm excited, actually, to, to broach the subject matter that we're going to talk about. This is the next iteration of my uh, hate speech versus free speech series. But we're going to be honing in on a particular angle uh, that I think uh, a lot of people haven't touched on and I definitely haven't touched on yet. So without further ado, I want to bring on my special guest for today, woman by the name of Jasmine Orsted. How are you doing, Jasmine? I'm good. I just can't believe that you introduced me by corny <laughs> when you are the person in the world but okay oh i'm corny i'm the corny one it's your it show you can be whatever you want whatever you say on my show i'm not corny on my show i'm hilarious uh how you doing i'm good how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good uh so give my audience a little bit of a background on how we know each other please so we met on Clubhouse, and I am an anti-bully advocate, and Jason was bullying me. So I have become his friend to hopefully mentor him away from <laughs> those bullying actions of his tendencies. I never bullied you even once. I don't know what you're talking about, but it is an interesting okay. subject matter to cover, though. Um, so what... Is it, is it exactly that you specialize in? Uh, I know you're an uh, anti-bullying advocate, but like specifically, what does that entail? What do you do? So to kids about like different situations that they might be facing, or I use myself as a, recenter, as a resource center for them. So if I'm looking up different situations, I might contact their parents and say like, I don't know if you know, but there are laws against this kind of thing and you do have options. Like it doesn't just have to stop at a newspaper article you can you need to seek a lawyer or just go through your school's own system for what uh, bullying is, they have to address it because you, you just can't send your kid off to school and they face harassment or whatever the case may be. And they're just supposed to take it. Like there's always something you can do, even if, you know, the last option is having to get a legal team involved. So what are the age groups that you typically deal with? Really anything like I just go on the internet and um I look up different people or, like I type in like black kids bullying or different bullying situations and unfortunately it's like every week there's something different popping up and it ranges but you know whatever I see like I'll, they want to um, be reached out to or I can find their Facebook I'll reach out to them. And do you, do you focus in on uh, black children? Black uh, children? Yeah. Yeah, I do just because we face a higher, or Black uh, students face a higher rate of bullying. And I think, um, well, you know, with microaggressions and everything, sometimes people can kind of minimalize what is bullying to Black people. Because um, it's not that deep when it's us, right? Like, it doesn't matter uh, if our feelings are hurt because it was just an accident. Um, it's just a microaggression. Like, you'll just get over it. No, like, it does have impact and our feelings do matter. And just given the different... Um, statistics that black kids have for suicide rates and how that's been increasing over the years, we do need to have some type of focus on them to make sure that their mental health is okay and that they're being taken care of too within these different educational systems. So has the so it seems like just to stamp this, the suicide rate amongst black 
children has increased over the last few years? Yeah, there was a study done from 2005, I believe, to 2018. And for Black male uh, youth suicides, it rose 61, 62%. And for Black female uh, adolescent suicides, it run, it um, like 68% as well. And it's just like there's from, nothing being done. From when to when? Through the same time period. Um, I'm going to say 2000. To 2000, well, no, 2001 to like 2000, no, 2006 to 2018. 2006, so 12 years, a 12-year span yeah. rose 61%. Yeah. Uh, or thereabouts, uh, okay. So that's so that's serious. So why do, you, why do you think that more people generally aren't talking about it and more people in our communities are not talking about these issues? Well, I think in general, we aren't talking about it because you know, black people always get put on the back burner. Um, it's not something that's going to get pushed to the forefront. And as like far as the community, I think that a lot of us were taught um, sticks and stones and break my bones, but words may never hurt me. And our mental health was also, also put in the back burner because this wasn't a conversation that we could really have. We weren't able to be in a position to say like, no, this hurts or like, no, like this shouldn't be happening to me. So I think it was kind of a survival thing, but now that we're being able to address certain situations and expose things, um, we have to do something to try to prevent this to keep on going on and stop the rates from increasing. So, I mean, when I hear 61% increase in suicides, that seems to me to be a big deal. That seems to me like that should be the kind of thing that's all over the news. I mean, we, we had in the wake of the George Floyd protests, um, a lot of focus in on black issues. And it seems like this is the kind of thing that maybe uh, should have been included into the range of, of, of issues that black people face. And so I'm wondering why more people aren't speaking out about this from our from within our community um, and why there isn't more um, attention being put on this even after uh, all the, a lot of focus attention was to turn to black issues um, in 2020. What do you think about that? I think that people don't um, typically look at bullying as a big deal as it is. I think that, you know, again, like we just kind of say sticks and stones. So when it's words or if it's not something that results like an immediate death, it's kind of like, it's not that big a deal. Um, but it is, but it, like black kids, I believe it's from ages eight to 13, we're twice as likely to commit suicide than our white counterparts. And I think that's something that's not being talked about because we put the emphasis on the white kids being bullied and we're not focused. Because if we have to address, all right, kids shouldn't be saying the N word, that's a form of bullying. If we have to address talking about hair texture, if we have to address all these different things, it just exposes things within society that people don't want to talk about. So it's easier just to sweep it under the rug. I think that's part of it too. Um, just because of the systemic racism within educational systems that exist. So do you think that the educational systems are systematically neglecting this issue? I do. And I think it's just because it's easier to minimize it, but also people that are in positions of power, it wasn't recognized when they were a kid. So when you hear certain things, it's like, for example, the N-word, right? It's really easy for um, older people to say, well, you know, kids use it in rap songs a whole bunch now. So why should we really say, okay, this student said this to that student, they should be expelled or held accountable. Like, it's not that big a deal. Um, 
I think there's going to be a learning curve that has to happen for the administrators in the positions of power for these kind of things to change. Otherwise, it's just going to keep on going on and on. Well, do you do you think that uh, poli- what like it seems like there's going to be a complicated story to tell about what policies one could implement to deal with these kinds of things that are not too draconian and too nitpicky um, because policing how students talk to each other can become intractable it can become the kind of thing that's like more trouble than it's worth and so there's got to be limitations in the range of things that you can even introduce at, as a, at the policy level and so i'm wondering if if maybe some of that is why there haven't been very many policy pol- solutions because there's, there's a certain extent to which you can't really over police what students do like you can manage behavior in various different ways but there are limits all right like students are going to do what they do to a certain extent students are going to say what they say to a certain extent um they interact with each other outside of the school buildings uh particularly with the internet and that's where a lot of bullying takes place so like how are schools supposed to address that i feel like that kind of issue only really comes about when it is talking about uh, black students being bullied, just for the fact that if it was any other race and any other slur, like we would immediately be like, okay, no, this isn't all right. You Something's gonna happen. You gotta go to alternative school or whatever the case may be. But I think that we do kind of have to do that just because there is the internet now. Um, and just because it's not the same as like when we were growing up, like once you left school, typically, you know, you got to get away now because the internet, everything is 24 seven and it is nonstop. So I think, you know, it'll be like definitely um, labor, but something has to be done. Um, I know as far as like the free speech and everything that, uh, I don't wanna say originally, but the big uh, case that kind of modeled like what students can or can't do was this case like you know there was a cheerleader um she didn't make some like it was something with the cheer team and she got mad and she said f the school f the cheer team etc right so then she wasn't allowed to be on the cheer team for a year so then that's how it got introduced well this was her free speech and we can't you know impose upon that but in real life if this was an adult and i said you know f wherever i work at there's going to be something that follows that. So like, yeah, kids have a certain amount of free speech, but also we need to treat them as little mini adults that you can't just go out and do this in the real world because there's going to be some form of consequence. Fair enough. So I understand that you're writing a book. I am writing a book. <laughs> what, is, what are you writing a book about? So it is going to be a memoir, but it's going to be in a series of essays, and I'm going to be relating my own personal experience with bullying. Um, It was racial bullying that happened at a college campus, relating it to other stories throughout different grade levels of Black students that have been bullied, and comparing it to different overarching themes, such as like disciplinary discrepancies um, and just different things that kind of impacts black kids when it comes to bullying and reporting it and trying to see some form of justice from it. Well, I mean, I, I look uh, forward uh, to possibly reading it. Um, do you have any, you have any uh, idea when it might be available? So I can tell my, we can tell our audience. I'm hoping 2024, everything goes smoothly, perfectly. I'm hoping 2024. 2024. All right. Jasmine Orsted's writing a book um, about the 
the issue of bullying in the black community. I think it's something that people need to hear about. And I'm uh, honored to have you on my podcast to talk about it. Let's awkwardly transition that to the subject matter proper, because what I want to do is I want to take a fairly unique niche angle on the wider topic of free speech versus hate speech. And it's that it's that latter one, that hate speech, that I think is going to intersect with the range of issues that are germane uh, to, to the work that you do in the various different places and communities and also the book that you're writing. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the, the things that people have in mind when they um, talk about hate speech restrictions, particularly in online environments, is that they are they are sincerely and genuinely interested in trying to minimize uh, the negative fallout of the kinds of uh, things that you you deal with on a regular basis, the kinds of cyberbullying. Um, and then a lot of times the cyberbullying becomes actually bullying that happens in person uh, when the students actually interact in the schoolhouse based on some posts that they saw when they weren't there with each other. Um, and so like if people are using racial epithets, um, people would consider that a form of hate speech, particularly in the school contexts. Um, but the cyberbullying thing actually extends beyond school. You have grown ass adults. Uh, who are acting uh, in many of in many ways like school children, uh, in their willingness to troll, to say uh, things that deliberately piss people off, uh, to denigrate them based on immutable characteristics, etc. And it seems like moderation policies in places like Twitter and Facebook, uh, to whatever extent that they exist at all, are designed to minimize or prevent that kind of thing. And so when we're talking about hate speech, we're not just talking about hurt feelings. We're talking about the very real world consequences of sustained uh, bullying or um, harassment uh, that that can manifest itself through various forms of communication over time and how that negatively impacts people's conception of themselves, their self-esteem, and in extreme cases, uh, introduces the possibility or maximizes the possibility that they'll have suicidal ideation and if not, uh, also attempt suicide. Um, so where is your head at with that with that range of things? How does the free speech versus hate speech debate interact uh, with with kind of your work? And if you want me to, I can I can show some stuff because I know you have some stuff that you want me to show. Okay. So I kind of like want to slow walk it to like where I want to end up at. But so this would be one article that kind of um, shows that gray line of like, should we hold kids accountable? Or is it really the more so free speech um, that should be protected regardless what is being said? And so this is, I don't know, is it being shown? Yep. Okay, so I'll just like scroll through pretty fast. But so this was in Connecticut and there was a kid took a picture of his black classmate put it on Snapchat, um, had a racial slur and racist comments. And they actually did end up arresting the kid for everything that happened. Um, Where was this? This is the United States? Yes, this was in Connecticut. Uh, this was in 21, um, surprisingly. But so um, I guess I can highlight it. But the ACLU yeah. wanted to, you know, essentially protect this kid because they're like even if the viewpoint is offensive even if it's deplorable we don't want the government making the column was okay to say and think and what is not but we have limitations on that right i feel there shouldn't be when it comes to 
that kind of action, I don't feel as though it should be any question, right? Because what about that other kid's mental health? What about that kid's picture being taken without their, um, you know, against their will? And now you're putting these kind of things out there about this kid. And how am I supposed to feel about myself now, right? You've saying, you know how social media works. It could go viral. And so now what is there to do? And I don't, that's just not fair to me. And I feel like that is the kind of viewpoint that shouldn't be protected. Like, yes, you can say what you want to say as long as that speech does not affect another person. And I guess that would be hard to do or another person's identity. Um, but I also feel like something like that shouldn't even be <laughs> questionable, you know, bless you. Uh, no, I coughed. I didn't see this, but thank you, though. Um, so I'm actually curious about the details of the case, because I do think that the details are going to really enable us to really drive the point home on the on the on the hate speech side. Um, so what were the what were the ethnic backgrounds of the students in question? So it was a white student and. And which student was uh, in some sense the victim? for lack of a better term, and which student was the, the so in some sense the perpetrator in terms of the the, the relevant uh, quote unquote hate speech. So a white student took a picture of the black student and then posted their picture on Snapchat. And there was another case that I wanted to uh, reference to actually in your oh, wait, wait, wait. can we Okay. Okay well, we, 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 I, okay we I was gonna do one at a time but no go ahead and, and do both and then we'll recap both. Okay. So California school district. Um, they they're trying. They up ended up again upholding the discipline of two high school students, and this kind of plays into what you said earlier about off-campus actions. Like, is should that be not necessarily fair play, but how do you really hold somebody um, accountable? So these kids made an off-campus Instagram with racist imagery and comments targeting their black classmates. Uh, tum, tum, tum. Um, vicious um, posts targeted at specific individuals, insulting images and words. And okay, we can talk about that after the fact. But so one of the students also used the N word, um, posted other images not about specific students that referenced Ku Klux clinchings of African Americans. So. So what were the racial backgrounds of the students in question and who was the victim and who was the perpetrator in this case? So the one that made the account was a white student, but what kind of got muddled was should the, and I have my opinion, but I feel like that would be even harder thing to try to get past the students that were following it and liking it. Those were like different backgrounds. Okay, so there was a student that created what a, a a parody account of a well yeah they made an instagram and this is another issue that was like part of the case is it was private so if it is this is my private space and i have these thoughts how is it then fair to you know try to say because that would be the equivalent as being in your house right like you can't control what i say in my house but okay so but a, a white student created the instagram account yes um, were they a legal minor? Were they under 18? Yes. Yeah, high school student. What is the, what is the age restriction on Instagram? Is, I have no idea. I know I made one at 16, 17, so. I think a lot of teenagers have them, but I don't, I'm actually curious what the age limits of Instagram are. We could probably look that up in a second. That might be relevant. Um, 
let's assume for for a second until we do look it up that that age 15 16 year old high school age students are legally allowed to have instagram accounts um so he created this this white student i presume created an instagram account and then said some made some disparaging comments against a, a, a black student well it was students and then like some that didn't have to do with any kids at the school at all so it was a black student they were comparing black students to gorillas um they had pictures of nooses lynchings but those weren't necessarily connected to any student at the school that was just I guess something. So they had some offensive content that implicated yeah. matters of race and racism. Mm -hmm. um, they're the kinds of things that, that probably members of our community would likely um, consider offensive, uh, such as imagery around nooses, comparing black people to gorillas is a, is a racist trope. Um, right. And so this offensive content on a private account, uh, in some sense, was found out and it implicated several black students and so there is a there is a there is a little bit of a controversy around how to handle the situation um because it implicates matters of free speech versus hate speech Am I, do i have that right right and if it's a private instagram should that also change thing and because it was off campus so if these are yeah, your it, it occurred off campus and it is, is it, it, it was also vague based on the description, and maybe we can in, give more detail from reading this article, it's whether or not the offensive content was targeting anyone in particular or if it was just generally disparaging in terms of groups. Um, was it targeting any particular Black students or was it just like, well, like for example, the, when the comparison of, to gorillas, did it have like an actual student's photo next to a gorilla? I'm not sure like if they said Jimmy, whoever, and then had a picture or if there was a side by side or, or superimposed somebody's head onto a gorilla's body or something right. like that. Yeah. So I think those details are going to color a, a little bit of, the, of, of how we evaluate this. And, and in the absence of those details, I don't I want to reserve judgment to a certain extent. But overall, big picture, I think I, we have a general grasp of the issue. Um, because you have uh, occasions where people are privately expressing and out of the out, outside of really the domain of schools, um, offensive, racially offensive content or racist content uh, that disparage either groups of people broadly or specific students that they know from school specifically. Um, in this case, in the first case, it seemed like it was more of a one on one thing. There was a particular white student who made some disparaging comments about a particular black student. Um, and so that that one it seems to be more clear clearly an instance of targeting a particular person uh, for the purposes of disparaging them based on immutable characteristics. And so this is the kind of these are the kinds of candidates for what is called hate speech. Um, and so what I think is going to make this this discussion really interesting is evaluating the real world instances and trying to take a step back and go. Oh, so that's what people have in mind. They're not just talking about her feelings. They're talking about the detriments that come, the very real detriments that come with these kinds of cases. If if a person is enduring being um, targeted based on immutable characteristics in all of the ways that memes can encompass that kind of expression of ideas over sustained periods of time in ways that are essentially public, meaning all of their friends or all of the people that they interact with can see it and join in on the joke that they are the butts of, that actually does have the ability to do real damage to the psyches of young teenagers, particularly women, 
who are especially susceptible from what little I know about the literature to this kind of thing. But also, we don't want to under underestimate the fact that our young boys also are susceptible to it, despite our expect our cultural expectations that they quote unquote toughen up and man up, right? So I want to acknowledge that there are going to be broad distinctions by gender or sex in these trends, but there's still an issue regardless. What do you say to, to that? Am I am I off base or? No, I think you're completely completely. Um, I just feel like even if it's not necessarily targeted at one st one student, I don't know how you can say. I don't know what kind of limit you can actually like try to place, and I know that would be hard, but there has to be something done that, even if there were no specific um, pictures of another black student, right? And even if like it just alluded, that's still going to be a harmful. And it's still, I feel like the power of speech and the power of getting your thoughts out there is underestimated a lot. But once you kind of put thoughts out there, oh, somebody else can see, you know what, like I wasn't that radical, but let me give this a follow. Let me join in. And I feel like that's how you build communities um, that make things worse that you might not that you might not otherwise um, have had to do, deal with. So I think when there is like one student spearheading this and then it starts growing, that's why we have to get ahead of this now, because it's just going to get worse and worse. The more technology, Twitter, TikTok, all these different things, there has to be something done to protect black kids. And that's what I'm saying. Like, even if you did just have pictures of unjust, but if he just had pictures of lynchings and nooses that didn't have any other student specifically in it, something has to be done to say it's harmful and it could definitely escalate. I don't know how we would do that other than just saying, don't put stuff like this out there. Um, but something has to be done because I think situations like that only you're going to build and it's only just going to be a horrible outcome from that. Okay. I'm going to temporarily take off the, stop the sharing, but if we, if you, if we need to refer to it, let me know and I'll put it, bring it back up. So let me go in before I, before I start doing my devil's advocate thing, let me, let me really try to zero in on in, in the most concrete way possible what we're talking about. Let's try it as best we can to explicitly describe the nature of the harms that we have in mind when it comes to hate speech, right? So like we had two relatively anecdotal cases and I think that they're very, very helpful in helping us kind of break down like what exactly is at issue with cases like this that we can multiply over millions of kids all over the country, right? Like mm -hmm. if a person is the butt of this kind of expression of reprehensible ideas, let's say, or this kind of denigration um, at their expense based on things that they can't control, based on their race, based on their gender, based on their or maybe sexual orientation, et cetera, um, repeatedly and amongst their social circles, people are basically joining in on it or laughing at their expense. This is going to have, this is very likely, particularly if they're young, if they're, if they're school-aged children, to have negative impacts on their conception of themselves, their self-esteem, um, their ability to socialize and play well with others. Um, and, 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 and this is going to implicate notions of trauma in the long term, right? If, if the injury is repeated over and over and over and over and over again, 
then the trauma is going to be cultivated and probably maximized. And in extreme cases, we're talking about kids who become so dejected and their 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 conceptions of themselves are so low or self-esteem is so low that they may actually entertain suicide in the extreme cases, right? Um, and so when we, we, we opened up talking about how the suicide rates from, I think you said 2000 and 2006 to 2018, yeah, increased in in, the, in around 61 percent for from for black boys and black girls, or I, I forget the age ranges you gave me, but young black people, mm-hmm. um, right? So this is all connected, right? Because like part of what's contributing to those rising trends is the maximization of this kind of cyberbullying. Um, because people have are students are interacting outside of the purview of the adults that could, in some sense, step in and prevent it. And there's actually not even like there's actually an interesting history to the extent that schools have failed to do that, even when it's in person. But there's been a lot of poly, anti-bullying policies that have been implemented um, in ed, in educational systems all over the country nowadays to try to minimize that kind of thing happening at school in person. But it can still happen online, and the damage can still be done remotely. Um, so this the is the sad is it doesn't stop. Like, <laughs> and you know, it's yeah, not it's, bad, it's, it's right? yeah. And so, and and the ability, the ability to have accessibility to your peers outside of school so conveniently because you all share social mediated spaces, and the virality factor that can that can launch these these ideas into a public domain that's like beyond the even the circles of people that you interact with in person um makes it worse i think (laughs) it maximizes the damage that can be done uh so what we're really the nature of the harm is around that what i just tried to describe is like you have you have people who can access you uh who can denigrate you based on the immutable characteristics that you can't control that has all kinds of social implications for whether or not your friends actually like you or whether they think of, think of you as less than them in various different ways to various different degrees. They can have access to you endlessly, even outside of the schoolhouse, so you're not safe. And it's in, a, it's in an online space that has the potential to be maximized in terms of its virality or in terms of its ability to be shared and spread far and wide, depending on what the content is, ranging from comparing, let's say, a, a Black student to an ape, uh, to sexually explicit photos that were intended maybe for your boyfriend or girlfriend that are now being publicly like shared online. Like that's another one that's really, really awkward because teens do that to each other. Um, and so like if you, if you have this embarrassing life-ending thing that now everybody knows about that was supposed to be private and now everybody's talking shit about you because they're judging you based on that. This is especially true for women in our culture because women who engage in sexual activity uh, are labeled all kinds of things if they're if they're perceived to be promiscuous and so the negative judgment of that the fallout of that is really really powerful and can cause a lot of trauma for young ladies but i don't want to understate the trauma for young men too um uh, uh not necessarily with respect to the dis- well actually quiet as it's kept actually that kind of thing can negatively impact men as well um the the, the one that i can think of off the top of my head is uh, a young boy is exposing himself and he's being made fun of because he's not well endowed or something like that. And then that gets out or whatever. Uh, yeah. Those kinds of things are extremely emasculating, extremely denigrating to young men um, because our culture is such that, you know, like if, you know, if you don't, ha- if you're not well endowed, you're somehow less manly or something like that. Um, so that's, that's just one example. Um, so th- this is like really serious stuff. This, this actually has real world impacts. 
that is com contributing to terrible trends in our community of suicide. And I'm trying to really stamp the real nature of the harm because I think a lot of people are going to underplay it because they're going to say, well, it's all about hurt feelings. You know what I mean? Like you, you need to not be so sensitive. Like they're they're gonna say that, and they're not gonna they're gonna say that in complete ignorance of the kinds of real world consequences that we're talking about. What do you say to that? I feel like, I mean, and this is why I'm an advocate of CRT because CRT contributes to um, positive things in Black kids as well, right? Like us having higher self esteem and just feeling validated. But for the white kids, it like teaches them how to have empathy and how to be compassionate to situations that they won't, you know, go through. But sorry, my voice. Um, I don't want to say that if you haven't been through something like that, you won't understand, but you at least have to try. Um, you know, I don't know. I will never understand persecution for like wearing something for like a hijab or right. But mm -hmm. my friends that do wear them and have things happen, like I would never tell them, well, like, you know, it's your fault. Like, you really should just take it off. It's not that big a deal. So I think we have to teach people how to be more empathetic of like, well, you know, it's not just words. It just has to do with my identity. This is part of who I am. This is something that I can't change. And because it's something that I can't change, like, it's not like fat phobia or something like that. Like, that's harmful too, right? Being shamed because of your size. But you know, depending, you know, me medical case, whatever the case may be, it's something that is not inherently that I cannot change and I will never be able to change having to bleach my skin, whatever my hair. So it's not just words and it's, it is an attack on my person, my identity, who I am, my self-esteem, um, how I view myself, how I, you know, think the world views me if I have any meaning in this world. And that's not something that we can just take lightly. That's something that has to be held in high regard and has to be protected um, to prevent, you know, the rising of suicide, the rising of race-based bullying and just all the things that come with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to, I want to stamp something that I think is really, really central to what we're talking about. And, and I'm going to go into devil's advocate. I'm going to, I'm going to push back in the way that I always do eventually, but I really want to underscore this because I feel like in this series that I've done, uh, I haven't like really honed in on the hate speech, the validity of the hate speech side. So that's why I'm really emphasizing it in this episode with you. Um, it's the sense in which it's more than just words. It's like what part of what a person or several people are conveying about me when they denigrate me is a whole bunch of things about how they think of me. And that that has implications for a, a certain kind of social status, maybe even in microcosm that I have amongst my peers. So if a whole bunch of my peers are constantly talking about this thing that's true of me my black skin and how it and how it and how it implies all of these negative or pejorative things about me right the it's not just that they're saying things what they are conveying is that in virtue of this thing that I cannot change about myself I am in some sense less than them and I am not worthy of value and I am not worthy of respect and 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 that confers a status on me in social contexts that suggests that I'm less than everybody else and and the and so the, the the meaning that is very intuitive to grasp from that kind of practice right that's what hurts me 
It's the fact that I am regarded as less than in, in, a, in a group of my peers for something that I can't change about myself or something that's arbitrary and it doesn't really reflect my character at all. And and to be that person who is who is not only denigrated constantly for things that they can't change, but like but but even by extension is now regarded as a social pariah, is now regarded as the kind of person that I don't want to hang with. I'm not gonna invite this person to my party. I would never date you. Like all of those social implications, the ostracization of that is what hurts me. That's what causes the trauma. It's not the mere fact that you used the bad words. It's the it's what you conveyed in the usage of the words, right? And I think that that, that nuance matters, and I'm getting preachy, I'm sorry, but that nuance matters because, because for people who argue the, out of, the other side of sticks and stones, they're just words, they can't hurt you. It's like you're not, you're not fully appreciating what people do with words, how people use words to convey certain kinds of social statuses on people in certain social contexts. That, that's the thing we want to emphasize when it comes to hate speech. The reason why we're interested in hate speech is because that kind of denigration goes beyond hurt feelings. Now we're talking about regarding and treating people as if they're less than us and ostracizing them in various ways. What do you think about that? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, does this does does these words then mean, well, it's all right if I hurt them physically because based on the words and how you know we've been referring to them they're not really human right they're like subhuman so it doesn't really matter if i continue to harass them while they're walking down the halls if i call them out of their name if i throw things at them if i jump them like it doesn't really matter and that's what i'm saying like i really do feel like um you know what is done online has like a huge impact because kids start rationalizing things in their head of like well, this is really okay. And that's dangerous because when you start feeling that, well, A, I can say this, well, then that means B, I really can't feel this way. That means C, okay, well, it's all right if I hurt you. That's why I kind of think it starts progressing and that's why we have to take it serious. Um, I don't know. Um, I definitely agree. Like that is what causes kids just be viewed as outcasts. And then that is what starts taking the effect of, well, I really don't matter. And I um, I don't I don't want to say, you know, what was used um, on those posts. But I mean, just viewing your way in and you viewing yourself in an animalistic way of like, I am not a part of this group and for nothing other than my skin. And that's something that I can't change. And that just leaves you down this road of depression because there's nothing you can do about that. And even if you could, that's a form of self-hatred that's now being fed into. Mm-hmm. And I want, there was so, a... Before, before we get into the next thing that you want to share, I just want to like, uh, and this might be a little controversial, so I got to choose my words carefully. Like the words that people have in mind as exemplars of hate speech, one of the reasons why they... Um, are the kinds of things that people want to ban or prevent people from using is because what you can potentially convey about a person when you call them those labels it's the it's the kind of it's the kind of social status you can confer upon them by repeatedly calling them those labels or 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 joining in with a whole bunch of people that are reinforcing that the the status that comes or is associated with those labels what does it mean to be a slut or a hoe or a skank what does it mean to be an n-word 
or a K word that rhymes with bike as a racial epithet for a derogatory epithet for Jewish people? What does it mean to be an F word that rhymes with the word bag as a as a as a pejorative epithet for uh, a, a gay person? Like, what does it mean to be all of those things, right? right. And like the 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 denigration that is conveyed upon people uh, in social contexts. The fact that that's how you think of me, that I'm the kind of person that you can not only call those terms, but treat me as such, that you would ostracize yourself. You would not want to hang out with me. You would not want to call, like invite me to the parties. You would, you would want to separate yourself from me, but in virtue of these things that may or may not even really be true, right? In virtue of things I can't change about myself or things that I don't think that I should have to change about myself. My mannerisms, my behavior, uh, my style, my hair, my, hair, my, my, my dress, Etc. Like, 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 I gotta, I, I gotta be all of these things, right? And, and like, if everybody thinks of me that way, or if I feel that everybody is joining in on it, and everybody is, feels like I'm this weird thing, the social pariah, like that's what does damage to my self esteem. Why, why is there's no one like me? What is it about me that makes people treat me like this, right? I know the old stereotypical bullying that we saw in pop culture is like. <laughs> little white kids being stuffed in lockers and having their lunch money taken away and right. getting beat up. That's like the stereotype of bullying, but bullying is, is different in 2023. <laughs> right. It's a lot different. Uh, bullying consists of people making all kinds of asinine posts about me that imply and suggest certain things about me that everybody else gets to demonstrate that they endorse by clicking, liking, and sharing. And then the sheer amount of reception of the ideas that are denigrating me conveys to me that a whole bunch of people are joining in on it and think these things about me right and like that's how that's how bullying manifests itself more more often than not in 2023 um and so like i totally feel like where people are coming from when they're trying to protect people from that kind of fallout that kind of denigration that kind of uh, uh loss of self-esteem etc um so i know you gotta you gotta move soon correct Yep, they're not quite here yet, but they're coming. <laughs> okay. The coppers are coming. Let me know. Okay. All right, let me know you got to move, and then uh, I'll bring you off screen temporarily, and then I'll bring you back on. Uh, but right. this is a this is a great discussion so far. So I'll, I'll hold off on my devil's advocate until then. Um, but like, so maybe we can start veering in that direction. So the free speech versus hate speech debate is interacting with this in a fundamental way because when you protect people's rights to say even um, hurtful things, then what you're doing is you're insulating the ability for people to denigrate other people in the ways that have the negative fallout that we are trying to protect them from, correct? Right. I think that another um, harm that is done is that people can potentially is dangerous too though. Like when you start saying black men are super aggressive and they're thugs and they're these and like I mean you know you would think I don't want to say you would think but labeling somebody as a thug or whatever might not appear as that big a deal but it really does because in real life people start feeling that way and it's more than just you know locking some your uh, door when a black person goes by it's more than just following um, a kid around a store extreme like George Zimmerman like you really feel like no black people should be around and it's dangerous even if it's just a kid so that's why um and I mean like that has completely went away from you know like online posting and everything but I just feel like you see things down the line it might not be right exactly in that moment but when you start letting these thoughts grow there 
they become real life paranoias for the other people and they start acting on it. And that's when it becomes even more dangerous for black people. That's a good point. That's a good point. We, we shouldn't be too uh, narrowly focused on certain kinds of fallout from uh, using what is usually termed hate speech. You can be perpetuating pejorative stereotypes that um, that that still confer certain kinds of statuses upon certain groups of people based on their immutable characteristics, but don't necessarily cause social ostracization. Um, they just they just they just they lend themselves well to what to uh, basic assumptions about their behavioral dispositions that could that could in certain situations manifest themselves really horribly so in the situation where a black person is interacting with a police officer if there's all kinds of like prejudices around um you know my my special connection as a black man to criminality or my or i'm more likely at as in general to have a certain disposition okay all right we'll go ahead and pause for a second and i'll bring you back on all right, let's 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 rewind um, and go back to where we started. I was basically asking you, and I'll ask it again: How does the free speech, hate speech debate interact with the, your line of work, uh, specifically around what you advocate for, what you advocate against? And you had a story that you wanted to tell, answering that question. But let's just start all over uh, so that we don't miss all of the good stuff. Okay. Um, so the way that it interacts is because it gives kids the right, um, or gives them the right. And since they know they have this right is that they abuse it, um, to cause harm to students. Because if I have the right to say, I think that this group of people are, dangerous, are stupid, are ignorant, are, you know, all these things under the sun, are animalistic in nature, um, and nothing is going to be done to me, that only, I feel like, makes them go further and further, but also it hurts kids because there's nothing that's being done to them, and, you know, I don't advocate for uh, physical violence, but that's what happens sometimes is that kids get so fed up that then they end up fighting back because nothing is being done to protect them from the mental anguish. So bless you, cause you had an anecdotal story that I actually thought was a really good illustration of what you're talking about. And I would love for you to go back into it if you wouldn't. With oh, this, with okay, the, sorry uh, about that. So um, there was a guy that went to the same university at the same time that I did at uh, Bowie State University. And he was on another college's campus visiting friends. And there was a white student at that college campus that came up to him um, and he told him to get out of his way, like to get into the car that the black student was getting to. And it was an Uber. And when it's an Uber, you know, you just can't take somebody's ride, but whatever. So the black guy said no, and he stabbed him. Uh, the white student ended up stabbing the black student and he killed him. Right. So then when it gets to court, um, it is found that the white student has like been a part of groups on Facebook that has like KKK kind of agenda, agenda white supremacy. And so now it's protected. And now we can't say like we can't in case. So that's why to me, free speech. I don't know. And I'm not exactly sure how that how I would say that overlaps, but it does to me if I'm if we're going to say, OK, we give people the freedom to spew all these things hate filled, whatever. And then when they act upon it and we're not going to use it against them in court to show like, well, they really this way. What's the point of protecting it? Like if 
I don't know. I feel like if we were going to say, okay, we're going to use all of this in court, if you end up acting upon it, then that's one thing. But if we're going to protect it and say, like, not really them, that's separating them from what they clearly do feel, it doesn't make sense to me to allow people to put that on, on the internet and like him join Facebook groups, whatever the kind of group there may be out there to keep people up to do these kind of things. Like I know I kind of mixed a whole bunch of things together with that. But do you kind of hear what I'm saying? No, I do. But so then, I mean, implied in what you're, the way you, you broached the topic is it seems like you suspect and maybe others suspect that this person's online interaction with uh, certain kinds of groups, white supremacist groups, hate groups, or whatever, mm -hmm. however you would describe them accurately, uh, had something to do with the actual act of killing someone? I feel like one if. I am on my own and I think one singular thing, okay. But once I start joining in a community of an online space, online forums, where it's somebody else agreeing with me and we're saying how, you know, the white race is under attack and we need to do something about this. And one, like that's not being restricted on Facebook um, or anything of that nature. It's getting somebody to that point of, okay, I can really do this. I can really do this. And I really am justified. Whereas if it was just me and myself and we had things protecting that or stopping against it, whether it's like blockers or whatever kind of trigger that would send Facebook into, okay, this group needs to be shut down or whatever the case may be. I do. I think it contributes to it because it hypes people up. Like, you know, I don't think people just, I mean, people do randomly go out and kill people, but most of the time, um, there was some kind of buildup. There is some kind of really rationalizing it. Like, and I don't want to say kid because he was 18, but the shooter in New York, right? Like he had been building upon this. He had a community behind him. He had a whole however many page on why the white race and laying a platform for people to copy him. Something needs to be done about that. And then we're trying to say, well, it's mental illness mental illness is very rampant, but no, now we can't say it's protected. Now we can't say, well, we can't use this in court because it's not really him or it's outside or it was no. So that's why it's to me, I feel like if we, if whatever you said, you said, now it can be used against you in court. And yeah, like I know the law is gonna try to manipulate it depending on whatever side you're on, but I just don't feel like that should be able to be a thing to do. If you've been out here saying, White, I mean, black people need to be eradicated. And yes, that's like skipping from bullying. Um, but I feel like that's how we end up here. Then it needs to be held against you. Or you end up bringing it back to school. If you end up beating up a black kid after you've done all these things online and you've said all these things, that's a step further than traditional bullying. Something more has to come out of that to stop it from continuing. Do you think that it is so straightforward as the person is interacting with certain kinds of groups online and then they do the horrible thing that we all know is horrible in the world? And so their interaction with the bad people online must have, in all cases without exceptions, caused mm -mm. the subsequent thing? No. So no, then there's I, at I least some. I, I think that there are some people. And I think that when we can take the steps against that, because I'm sure, you know, I'm from Tennessee, I'm sure there's some 
backwoods meeting going on of the minds of how to protect, you know, and that's not something anybody can do anything about. But I think when things of that nature are gathering online, yeah, there should be some type of red flag because I don't think people would do these things otherwise. Obviously, like some people, they were born in it, they were bred in it, it's just going to be what it is. But I think there can be some sort of prevention done, whether that's like having these keywords can't come up or whatever, to protect against the ones that we can't stop. Do you think that, the, that it actually is the most effective way to root out the spread of reprehensible ideas is by censoring it? Yes and no. I would say yes, because that wouldn't allow for groups of people. It's clubhouse, right? You meet people that you wouldn't ever meet otherwise. You meet people in different states, different everything, right? Um, but if we are in clubhouse... What you say? Some are more corny than others. Anyways, <laughs> and I don't know how that would like work on an audio app, right? But I'm saying if we were having some grand meeting of the minds there, we wouldn't be allowed to connect otherwise. And that should put you on some sort of, I don't know, list, no fly zone, whatever. Um, because. Well, no, you, you have a. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry, but. And I think when it comes to, you know, specifically that case, like a Facebook group and there are things being said in there, or I believe that one in New York, it was like a Reddit or like some kind of forum like that. There should be some type of monitoring to where it's like, this needs to be shut down because you speak. Now, if you exchange numbers, you do whatever, there's nothing to stop that, right? But I think that there can be some form of steps taken on the other side do I think censoring just stops it? No, because I think people do things in person to have these kind of actions um, come about, right? But yeah. I feel like there are people that wouldn't do this unless they found community that they might be more susceptible. Um, or they might just be lonely. <laughs> you find a group that is like telling you like where your loneliness and your downfall is coming because of these group of people you're gonna be like, you know, you're right. So something should be done about that. So do I think if we today here right now said these keywords or these phrases or whatever is gonna be shut down, your account is gonna be deleted, whatever, whatever. Do I think that would solve everything? No, but I think it's a step. I think if it's if we're not gonna attract people that say certain things, then just completely censoring it is better than allowing it to keep growing and growing and growing. Like, what are the things that we are going to police versus the things we're not going to police? I think that would be a really hard discussion to have. I think um, harming groups of people, um, eradicating um, different things like that. I think those would be like keywords, but then we know people would start using different words, right? They'd make up slang. Um, so it would be a very hard thing to do. I don't know a lot about technology as this has demonstrated, <laughs> um, but I just think something, I think even if people start finding a different way to do things, there would still have to have um, 
we just have to keep the system. We just have to keep adjusting to protect people. Well, is the goal to reform the people with the reprehensible ideas or is the goal to keep the people with the reprehensible ideas from spreading their ideas? So, you know, I would like to think we live in a world where people can be reformed and through the power of love and kindness, their hearts will be changed. Um, vast majority, that's not going to happen, but I think we can stop them from spreading or, and it would be hard. But I think it is the spreading of ideas that causes groups to form and ideas to fester and then people start acting upon that. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know the psyche of that kid that did what he did in New York, but he was only 18, 18, 19. And like he said, he didn't know these things. I'm not going to say he didn't know, but he didn't start making his, um, I forgot what the word was, but like his pages on pages of this is what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it until he came across that Reddit forum. So he might've already been prejudiced, might've already been racist, but that didn't start forming in his head until he joined that. So I'm saying like, yeah, that's one person, but those were like 30 people or so. I'm, I'm, 30 people on package shot or whatever, like whatever it was. Um, it's still lives that could have been had. Maybe that forum when they saw whatever keyword eradicating black people would have been shut down. Maybe it never would have formed years before homie even got on there. That's how I think about it. What is it that makes an idea reprehensible in the first place? I mean, I think it's going to be depending on your standpoint, right? I think to me, might be different from the next black person or to a white person or whatever. I think I would like to think I understand the basic human respect for any race. Um, but I would think causing harm. I know as far as stereotypes, like, again, like I already said, like black men being like, just aggressive beyond their control or as may be um i think things like that now when you start getting to the nitty-gritty of like why well, don't i say nitty-gritty but when you start getting to like what people might think tic-tac um even that i said tic-tac but i'm trying to think of something that's just like well that's not really that big idea ideal right but it could be um I'm just trying to think of something. Even, I don't know. I don't know. I can't even say that you could even have a meeting of the minds of like an in-group person because that's going to vary from every Black person too. But I just think something. I don't think, I don't know, I, slurs, I guess. I guess slurs and harming would be the first step. Um, but those are words. You mean the ideas associated with them? Yeah. In terms of what like online, them, what like, makes them reprehensible though is the what. What I'm saying is what is harm. the defining to me the, to the me potential it's harm. that it has the the potential that the idea when expressed has to harm people is what makes yeah. it reprehensible. Yeah. Okay. And by harm, you mean kind of what we've been illustrating in the first half of this, which is having those. Um, the, that that social fallout so 
negatively impacting people's self-esteem, causing trauma, causing suicidal ideation, and or perpetuating negative and pejorative stereotypes that make it um, more or less difficult for people to operate in the world. Those those kinds of fallouts is what you mean by harms? Right. And I feel like it would get really hard because at some point, you know, it would, well, if you don't want to see this, then just log off, right? Just block the person. So as far as like, well, I think I can unite all of these kinds of things under one word, and that's indignities. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a nice term that we can use. Anything that entails you failing to give people the respect that they deserve as human beings, um, and are, are doing the opposite, treating them as less than that, would be an indignity. Uh, denigrating them, um, calling for the genocide of them, putting them down, uh, making them feel dejected. Um, maximizing the trauma that they experience, driving them to the point where they don't even want to live anymore, harassing them endlessly. Those are the kinds of, that's the kind of behavior that's associated with indignity precisely because it entails treating, failing to uh, uphold your, your, your moral obligation, I would argue, to treat human being, your fellow human beings with the dignity that every human being deserves. If you treat them, if you fail to do that, you treat them with less than that dignity that they deserve, you're, you're, you're guilty of an indignity. Um, and that makes it a little bit more convenient for us to talk about, I guess, or stamp the validity of the hate speech side before I go into my devil's advocate, which I'm slowly easing towards. I'm, I'm not trying to be too aggressive at first. Um, but is that, how does that sound to you? Yeah, that, that's it. Okay. So let me go into devil's advocate mode. So like some of the questions that I was asking you or kind of getting at, I think some of the standard challenges of the free speech crowd, which is that there does seem to be a lot of ambiguity in what is meant by reprehensible ideas, what is meant by hate speech itself, and what is meant by harms of hate speech. And I've done my damnedest to try to make that as concrete as possible to steel man uh, the hate speech side. But there's still there's still some lingering questions about like what, what where exactly are the lines drawn, right? Because, for example, if you're going to put a ban on the expression of the N word, there are going to be a whole bunch of false positives that come up real quick because the N word is used in our community intracommunally all the time, and it right. is not necessarily expressing reprehensible ideas, right? Yeah. And so there's there's nothing about a word that makes it express reprehensible ideas. It really depends on how it's used. And so policing words in this way without being properly attentive to that nuance is going to generate a set of policies that are probably going to be too draconian. They're probably going to be banning things that are more or less harmless, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one challenge. And the challenge, the challenge like makes, takes advantage of an insight about the complexity of language use and how you can use words that in certain contexts can be used to express reprehensible ideas, but you can use them in ways that aren't doing that. Language allows us to do that. So if I say, hey, man, you my nigga, like I'm not expressing a denigrative thing. Right. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. I'm expressing that we have a kind of kinship that makes you one of the people that I'm the closest to and, and express between black men. I mean, you're laughing, but I'm being serious. That's I, I know you're talk. being serious, and that's why it's like you didn't make it sound poetic. That's why. No, but but that's but that's the that's the that's the nuance of language that I think a lot of the people who are very seriously concerned with hate speech and hate speech issues, mm-hmm. that's where they fail. They miss that, and so they think that it's as simple as you can't say this list of no no words. But it's like, but even with respect to those words, you may not even mean anything bad. 
That's mm-hmm. possible. There's no such thing as a word that's inherently bad. <laughs> like you can mm-hmm. repurpose terms. And in fact, the the now the, the use of the N-word is, is an instantiation of that same is of that very thing. Like the, the idea that many members of our community actually share, which is that we have effectively reclaimed that word that has a very abhorrent history where it used to be used exclusively to denigrate us and mark us as having a certain kind of second class, less than human status. We have now reclaimed it, and now we use it in ways that 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 confer a very special kind of kinship that only we can have with each other. Right. Right. And so when I when I look at another black man, and I respectfully and I with the utmost um, camaraderie and love say, "You are my you my nigga." Like I'm not calling you a bad thing i'm not saying you're less than human i'm saying you're the kind of person that i that i have a strong bond with and i wouldn't trade you for the world like i you you have a special place in my heart that's the kind of thing i'm conveying but i use the word though right and and like i i there's so many words like that a, a lot of the racial a lot of the epithets that people use a lot of the pejorative terms that people use uh can be used like that or akin to that or they can be used in more or less harmless ways um, where they're not really used to convey the pejorative thing. They're used to convey something else. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, I don't, I, I, that, that's a, that's an interesting challenge. What do you think about that? I, I want to know your thoughts. Um, I think that that is something that, that is an issue that is raised when it comes like specifically to that word. Like, okay, when we have like these TikTok trends, right? And then we see people mouth the word. Are we people see it, send it, or see them say it? So okay, are we gonna hold them to the stand of like, you're not black, you shouldn't be saying. It. Um, to me, it's a yes, even though we know they aren't using it in a way that might be harmful or whatever. Um, but so then, why don't we do the same thing when somebody that is black? Just because there's that nuance, and like we know it, like. I know different groups of people that use their own um, slurs with people, with you know their own in-group of people, but I would never say it. And I just feel like, again, N-word is used in music. It's used freely all the time. So I know like that is a difference between our slurs and Asian slurs or uh, Hispanic, whatever the case may be. But I guess I just still want that respect of like, if we know in a school setting, educational setting, if that was said in any form, there's going to have some type of uh, punishment that comes with that. And we're going to know that we won't just say these are just kids being kids. And it's not that deep, especially if it is a kid that is offended by it. I feel like that's so that answer brings really- me to another <laughs> No, 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 you did. I, I love your answer. Uh, it's an honest answer and it's a, it's a natural one. And, and it actually gives me the, at least the following question, which is another kind of standard challenge from the free speech crowd is there's also a certain amount of complexity to um, offensiveness or taking offense to things. Mm-hmm. Um, because people can take offense to something that wasn't intended to be offensive. You right? know, and um, so there's an intention part, but then people can also take offense to things that really aren't offensive, but in virtue of their misapprehension of what was expressed, they're mm-hmm. taking offense to what they perceive to have been expressed rather than what actually was expressed. 
You know, it's right. right. Um, so like, like if you if you misunderstand someone and in virtue of that get offended based on something that's not even really <laughs> it didn't even really happen the way you thought it did. Like, right. but you're mad because you perceived it. Like that's so there's a perception piece that that forms a kind of gap between mm -hmm. how people react to things and what people say. And those nuances actually create a kind of controversy when it comes to the fact, the mere fact that somebody took offense to something doesn't even necessarily mean that something bad was expressed. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny that like, that is something that you're mentioning because like that's something that happened in my lawsuit, right? Or that, well, that the other side was taking that stance and like the school officials too. Um, that because none of them ever said like the n word it wasn't anything like necessarily overt like that um but it was different things said and done that were offensive and that was kind of the stance taken well you know even if this did happen it wasn't meant um negatively that was your decision to take it negatively um just like one of the things was uh, we were in a study hall and two of the white girls came in and one white girl said, oh, I feel so gross. And then the girl said, why? Because I didn't shave. So then the other white girl said, well, you know, well, don't feel bad because they pointed at all the black people never shave. And then the girls laughed. And one of the black girls that was a returner, um, I didn't laugh. Myself and another black girl didn't laugh because we were like, wait, we shave. Um, another black girl that was her turner, she said, no, black people shave, but then she named another black student um, from the year before. She said she never had to shave because she was so dark. And so that made all the white kids again laugh. Um, and so in that situation, when we met with the EOC lady, you know, handles all the race stuff, um, she was also a black woman. We thought uh, she's going to understand like how some of these things that happened weren't okay. Um, she's so Jasmine that was your decision to take it offensively because actually white girls are jealous of black girls that we don't have to shave as often like they're actually jealous and they meant it as a compliment nah because you want to laugh you meant it as a health issue you meant it as black girls are unsanitary because we don't shave that's how it was meant but you can't prove intent right in a situation like that um, all you can really do is flip it and say that was your decision to take it that way or you're just taking something too seriously or you are looking for a situation to be offended in um like even within the lawsuit the state's attorney of virginia he said that like what i faced was oppression and it's like i don't know how oppression you know can ever be petty but saying that it's kind of your fault that you felt this way isn't the way to solve things either um how people react to things as demonstrated in that situation. Some black people might think it's funny to make fun of uh, Hughes and what perceived um, health or unsanitary from not shaving. And then some people are gonna be offended like me, even though I was the lightest black person in that situation, it's funny to say somebody is so dark you can't see their hair or that is some kind of reflection of them being sanitary um i think it's wrong and then even you know in other situations uh like them like the girls going around and we had a 
like tell things about ourselves, right? Oh, no, I'll go to, I'll use this situation instead. When to another two white girls, we were all stretching, and two of the white girls said, oh, well, one of the white girls said, I don't know why black people need their kids the way they do. They set them up uh, for failure. And one girl said, oh, yeah, I know somebody named Ladasha. Uh, like literally love. I was like thinking about exactly that, that name. That's meme. hilarious. That is a meme. That is a meme. It is. I don't know. Maybe no, but she no, there have, no, no, no. There have been people actually named Ladasha. Oh, I remember it being a meme. I've never. No, I, I've actually seen Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Wow!" But I, no, I, there's actually some interesting names that our that our community comes up with. There uh, is, but every so community was... has Ugh, ones that will make you raise your eyebrow. Out. Um, yeah. Ours are colorful, yes, but there are others in other communities. Um, yeah. But even with you know, then another white girl said, "Well, you know, I never had to deal with that because we only ever had two black." girls on my basketball team in high school. I like it. Um, so to go from that to that, again, the other Black girls, there's myself and another Black girl that took offense to things, but that was kind of the stance that the school took too. Well, we asked these other two Black girls and they said they didn't have a problem with it. So you can't use somebody else's basis for uh, respect or disrespect as what I have to take too, because I think that's wrong. I don't think you going from black, all black people name their kids, which you perceive as ghetto is okay. And then following it up, well, yeah, I never had to deal with that because my high school was white. Like that's offensive to me. Some names are objectively ghetto though. <laughs> I mean, no, yeah, no, no, no. But we know, know like, I, I mean, I know they have some, you know, questionable <laughs> names, but... Some interesting, yeah, some interesting, yeah, especially the country ones. First of all, the black like, side of like, the country, like, so... Like, 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 like Bubba. No, I'm oh, saying, but country country Bubba. white people. Country white people. Oh, no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying it's that there's some interesting names, and that's just one example I came up with. Right. Uh, that's not the only one I can come up with. Right. Um, but yeah, we do have some, and we and we and we play around with it intra communally. There's some right. names that we consider stereotypically. <laughs> I mean, Shanene too, right? Like that would be another one. Yeah, um, I mean, but Shanene became a caricature of of a, of a certain kind of ghetto part, ghetto woman, I right. guess. Um, right. And that's why she is a great emblematic of of that kind of archetype, let's say. But like. You know, Shaquisha, like all the stereotypical ones that we can come up with. Those are those are quote unquote ghetto names, um, and we play around with them, but they don't they don't typically have that uh, that potential to be offensive when they're intercommunal because we take for granted that we're just doing it jovially or to play with it because yeah. we don't you know we take for granted we're we're not necessarily trying to denigrate ourselves, right? right. Um, so I, that's why we kind of that's you know. In, in black comedy, we've, we there's a lot of comedians that have joked about those kinds of things, uh, and then I, I've saw I've seen some videos back when Vine was a thing. There's like they had this whole thing where they were just going through lists of uh, 
ghetto names. And uh, I remember uh, Obama Nisha was one. <laughs> it cracked me up. What the it was Obama Nisha. Oh, that was the funniest. That was so hilarious. You gotta find that vine. Latifah, Shaniqua, Latoya, Laquisha, Lakeisha, Latonya, Rohandra, Bonquisha, Chitanya, Tapromination, Laquishria, Bonifa, Chitaniana, Lavandia, Bufana Quishria, Laquisha Niqua, Babisha, Monique, Abduiniana, Belandra, Keisha, Bon Quee Quee, Belong to Lamana Manisha, Shanae Tay Tay, Daquande, Latrice, Daedra, Tramicia, Delanese, Kalika Tifria Niqua, Shalandra, Shaquanda, Ella Patisha, Laquatia, Girl, Qualifria Quisha Niquia, Combrisha, Congratula Shayla, Barakisha, Obama Niqua, Kool Adria, Spongebob Bishia, Clitter Sandria, Banane, Contania, Halamisha, Beethovenese, Watermelandrea, Cellular Phoniqua, United States of America Liqua, Alejandrisha, King Conquisha, Fried Chicken Nisha, Collagrenequa, Greg Drankisha, Africa Nisha Niqua, Kashida, Natanyana Bovanashria Niqua Nicolise, Courtney. Yeah. I might find it and splice it into our episode because it's hilarious. But I think actually, I think the one I'm thinking about was actually an Asian dude who was saying it. It's interesting, what? if I remember correctly. Yeah, but he kept, but he kept doing like this neck roll, like kind of taking on like this, this kind of Shanae archetype. Uh, so it might actually, by today's standards, that might be offensive to have a yeah, not a, a member that's not in our a part of our community who's who's doing it. But at the time, it was hilarious to me. Um, but I don't know, man, because there are people who are not black who still live amongst us and, and kind of in our communities who adopt our modes of expression uh, right. in the hood and stuff. So I, I've always been very leery to to be offended by outgroup people who, who adopt our slang. Uh, so Aquafina is one example. Uh, Aquafina definitely grew up in parts of New York where there would be a lot of black people that she would likely interact with. She's even said that she used to interact with them a lot and kind of, and so that's kind of where she picked up this kind of like ghetto chick vibe, <laughs> if, if I could put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, but you know, the, I did actually, I did a clubhouse room on this, like um, because she, she was, she was kind of getting pilloried in, in media, uh, in the news about cultural appropriation. And I really wanted to evaluate and investigate that notion because the lines are blurry. And I think that something analogous can be said here when it comes to hate speech is that the lines are blurry because there's a a lot of nuance here. And so there is I I, the only extent to which I would even be on the side, if at all, with the people who dealt with the lawsuit that you were talking about is they do have to contend with the possibility that any particular instance where people report something as offensive might be more the product of their sensitivities and less the product of the actual thing that was said or done is inherently offensive and unmistakably so. There's that ambiguity in virtue of the gaps that I tried to describe before. With the with the case that you gave, I can see both sides. I can I can see how you interpreted it. It's not an unreasonable interpretation of what was said and given the context and given the manner in which it was expressed and the laughter that preceded it. Um, but like you said, you can't proceed, you can't, 
you can't prove intent and that makes it that makes it that gap makes it frustrating if you feel like you've correctly interpreted what they meant to convey and then mm -hmm. they're just hiding behind the ambiguity to save their own ass so i see where you're coming from with that but there are like legit instances where it's actually really vague and because you can't prove intent it's hard to just 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 default to well it's offensive so like the example i came up with in my head is like i imagine this actually never happened but i imagine the context in which a tone deaf white teacher um who had been reading a series of curious george books uh in passing said about a student of theirs that happened to be black that you're just like curious george right. and and that has a certain kind of in, uh, implication that is offensive and that is that you are comparing a black student to a monkey and right. if you're comparing a black student to a monkey and people pick up on the fact that you did that in a very subtle way like people could be genuinely offended by that but if what the white teacher in question meant to convey by that was something innocent like you're curious like this character that we have been reading about and the only reason i reference that character that happens to be a monkey is because i knew you would be familiar with that character because we've been reading these books like all of that intent is not explicit and if that and if that's what their intent was and that's all they meant to convey then like that's just an unfortunate situation for that white teacher because right. <laughs> especially now because right? the like, history of it like, and everything yeah else. because because they weren't trying to do that and 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 what they were trying to say was actually rather innocent and there was other ways they could have expressed it where it would have been clear right but to what extent to what extent did they fail in expressing what they expressed the way that they did did they fail to take into account how that could have been mistaken or misinterpreted enough and should they be punished for that and to what extent should they be punished for that exactly and if the child in question wasn't really offended and the child in question actually understood what they were trying to convey which is that you're curious and the child was you know like, like is that still bad because the child's a child and they wouldn't know to be offended like like there's all these nuances and questions we could ask but it's like legit like a question like i i don't i don't know how to settle that debate right and like we can't prove that the teacher's intent so the teacher could have this really sophisticated explanation of what they really meant to convey and oh i would never do that i love my i love all of my right. students or whatever they would say and it's like well yeah but like still <laughs> like people are very sensitive about the association between black people and monkeys like they're really fucking sensitive to it so like to a certain extent, the way that certain people think, it doesn't really matter what your intention was. It's the fact that there was a potential to interpret it that way that we're pissed off about. And so mm -hmm. now we're coming for blood. And like, I don't tend to agree with people like that. I think that that's not properly attentive to the nuance of language. But at the same time, to the point you made, that that means that if you take a stance that's similar to what I just expressed, then you open up the possibility of people subtly implying things that are offensive but in ways where there's plausible deniability and now you can't prove intent. So therefore you got to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, that's the controversy. And I don't, I don't really know how to settle that debate, but that's, that's like an interesting facet of what we're talking about here. I feel like if it's like once, and I don't want to, I don't want to make like that blanket statement, but like in the situation you just gave, like I could really seeing that being plausible. Like if somebody has no idea the connection, which, I think would speak to why we need to teach more about being um, aware of different communities. Well, I guess just the history of different communities and like 
why certain things shouldn't be said or related to, um, I could see that. However, that's what makes it hard because then anybody can say, you know, eyes wide and innocent, I really had no idea and I just meant this or like, I really am jealous. Like that was an admiring you, not the way to insult you. And because there's this big, huge gray area, um, it makes it hard to think that there are certain things. And I know like we weren't talking about like the N word or anything now, but um, certain things that should be kind of red flags or how we say, okay, like this, this just can't be your speech. Um, because I, you know, like I said, like, you know, those girls said, well, it was expressed that they didn't, they didn't want to have more than two black girls on the team um, at the college, at University of Mary Washington, right? And then you go to the coach and you say, well, we don't want Jasmine to try out because we don't. Okay, so now you met your two-person quota. You said uh, it's been going around. There's never going to be more than two of us. So that's showing like you really do have some sort of issue. And this wasn't something that was expressed like on the internet or anything. It happened in passing in conversation. Um, but something like that, if we say, okay, don't say it, you're still, I don't know. I think I still think it kind of empowers kids in a sense, if you know, you can say certain things. Um, I know a teacher type situation, but um yeah i'm sorry i went off for a bit no it's fine we're having a conversation do you know what yik yak so, is do i know what yik yak is no so it works like an anonymous twitter so um it was really po popular in college campuses and the one that i went to uh to like at the time it was popular but even on that, right, um, nothing is ever truly anonymous on the internet, but the other black girl who was like me, like she didn't laugh or make at the black jokes, make any black jokes for the white kids to laugh at, she got like death threats and she got called the N-word on a yik yak and, you know, she ended up being able to leave the university after that situation. So she was safe, but that whole situation like really wasn't taken seriously to me because there was no police investigation done after she reported it to the school. It was all kind of just, you know, like swept under the rug. Um, and this is going away from race, but the following semester, there was a uh, feminist group on campus and like they exposed that the rugby club team had been doing this chant saying that they wanted to kill a girl and rape her dead body. Um, so the girls went to the school. The school didn't do anything about it other than like, okay, we're going to have some sensitivity. And so the girls released it to the press. Once the press got a hold of it, they ended up getting rid of the rugby club. And so those girls got over, I believe it was 600 or 800 death threats on that same platform that I said the other black girl got the death threats. And the school wasn't doing anything about it. The same EOC lady that I met with told them, oh, hey, I have an issue even though it's happening on our campus, uh, you have to take that up with the app. 
And so the president of the feminist club ended up being murdered by a former rugby player. Now keep in mind, this was somebody that also lived with her. Um, if they, they lived on campus, it was a group of people. Um, but even in that situation, and maybe that's why I feel the way I feel, I feel like if we took internet things more serious and we saw death threats like this, maybe he was one of the people putting out there, they need to have insert the blank happen to them. Maybe he was one of those people. Maybe had the police or whoever looked into it deeper, you would have been able to find out and she would be alive right now. So I don't know. Maybe that's why I feel that this way, because I feel like you can stop people potentially or whoever else was egging on causing harm to them and then to the other girl, uh, the other black girl. And like I said, nothing like physically ever happened to the other black girl. But <clears throat> what? I think well, you can what? What percentage of internet death threats or threats of violence do you think are actually acted upon? I would say it's probably a very low percentage, but I have like no idea. I might even say 1%. I have no idea. But I think any death that can be prevented should. Um, well, ideally, I think uh, most people would agree you don't want, <laughs> you don't want avoidable deaths yeah. to take place avoidable but like it becomes an intractable issue to police because of the sheer low volume or percentage right. of total cases that actually end up having people act on them and you don't know which is which they're all mixed in so like how what policy solution would there be for that kind of thing you could ban all threats of violence and police and police them in real draconian ways yeah. but i guess you're gonna you're going to have a lot of false positives because people talk in hyperbolic ways. So right. like you challenge me to a one-on-one -on -one basketball game and I'd be like, I'm going to murder you in basketball. Like, but I, I drop off the in basketball and say, I'm going to murder you. But that you. would be such a lie that, you know, it should get flagged. It would be, a, it would be an objectively ankle. true statement because you have no chance of beating me one-on-one. -on -one. But the point I'm making is if I said I was going to murder you, if I was going to destroy you, uh, people, it used, it's probably not so popular back in the day, but in the video game culture, uh, in order to like exaggerate hyperbolically how bad you beat someone, you can say like I raped you, like I, I'm gonna rape right. you in this video game, and the, in this video game get dropped, get dropped off, and it's just like I'm gonna, and it's just like people still talk that way, and they don't really mean it literally, and so right. like the thing about figurative language and hyperbolic language is like that is gonna be the source of a lot of false positives, mm -hmm. um, and like. And a lot of it's done for comedic effect too. So people are just being funny and silly and it's clear usually by the relationships that they have to the people that they talk this way with, that they're not mm -hmm. actually the kind of person that's gonna actually do it. Um, and it's actually been, it's become, especially early on, it became a part of internet culture to talk in these kind of like, like purposefully hyperbolic and offensive ways to like have some kind of like shock value. Um, but yeah, if if it's such a low percent of of instances of people expressing this kind of thing that actually act on it, then it's like, I don't know what you do with that. Like banning banning it all because of one percent seems like overkill. Um, and maybe I would you can say the person said is like, you know, I mean, I guess that would be after something you enact on your own. But 
And the ones that I just mentioned, like they wanted, you know, they wanted it to stop. They wanted protection. So in that case, if I'm saying like, homie really ain't playing, I don't, I don't think whoever is really playing and I kind of feel like I am at harm, then in that situation, I feel like, now would you say, okay, so now go track down everybody that made a yik yak referring to wanting to hurt? I don't know. And I mean, that makes it hard, but. It's also a drain of resources. So whatever policing forces you're using to do that, they're going to be dedicated to that around the clock. That's, a, that's an intractable. Yeah. And then they're not going to be policing other things that maybe are a little bit easier to police. Mm-hmm. So like, like from a policy standpoint, I don't know that that's a good idea. Um, but then what that means is that you got to deal with the negative fallout of that 1%. Mm-hmm. And that's also unfortunate, particularly when people actually get hurt. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, I, you know, it's just really, really tough. But um I think I think the main pushback, and I've been I've been very non-aggressive about it because I do want to not lose sight of the validity on the hate speech side. I think that with the free the the the, the most steel man kind of retort from the free speech side is really gonna be taking into account all of these practical problems with instituting any kind of policies that are designed to police these things and correctly mm-hmm. identify actual instances of hate speech and disambiguate them or differentiate them from false positives. Um, and it's like really, really difficult to do that consistently because of the complexity of language and because we don't know what people's intentions behind their words are all the time. Um, and especially in an online environment where the culture um, of online expression is often hyperbolic and is often vulgar for the sake of being vulgar or for comedic effect or shock value um, and offensive for that reason too, uh, for those reasons too, um, and not for the sake of actually explicitly expressing, I declare that I'm going to murder you tomorrow at five. Like most people, <laughs> most people don't talk that way when they have those kinds of malevolent intentions, right? right. Um, or at least they very rarely do. Um, so like, I don't know, like it's really just a, a, a conundrum. Um I don't know how to solve these problems, but I do recognize that the kinds of problems that the hate speech crowd have in mind are very serious ones. And I think that downplaying the seriousness of those is what a lot of people on the free speech side do is not helpful. Uh, we need to recognize the issues. Um, um, so that's kind of where I'm at and where I am um, with it. But yeah. And then, and then, and then also the last thing is like, who exactly is supposed to police this? Because once the government starts doing it, then you have a whole bunch of like legal free speech issues that are like intractable. Um, If you're going to have like Twitter or private entities do it, and the government is in in any way, any shape or form going to influence, particularly in the context of censoring politicians, who gets censored and who doesn't, that's also an issue. And that's what the Twitter files are all about. Um, Because the government is kind of inadvertently or vicariously controlling those kinds of things. but if private platforms are going to be able to do it, then there's still going to be issues of fairness. Like private platforms get to have more latitude for that kind of thing. But if they're only doing it in one ideological direction, <laughs> that still implicates notions of fairness, even though it's not necessarily illegal. Um, right. right. So if you had a platform, hypothetically, that was really, really draconian when it came to what black people can say. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's legal. It's legal for them to do that <laughs> to a certain extent. Like they have black people on their platform, but they're really, really draconian about what black people say. And we could like demonstrate those trends. Um, maybe you could have some kind of discrimination law issue, but I don't know that that would be enough. But if, assuming you couldn't, 
uh, it would still implicate notions of fairness. Like, why are you singling out this group of people and, and having certain standards for them that are not being generally applied to everyone else, right? Mm-hmm. And you can replace black people with any other group, an ideological, political group, um, gender, uh, whatever. Like, it's gonna it's gonna have questions about fairness there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, what do you think about the kind of free speech challenges that I've laid out so far? Because I laid out several. In my question. I mean, I agree. I think it would be hard to do. I think there'd be a lot of contradicting um, across different races, across groups you've mentioned, that if we're doing all this protection for Black people, so then what about LGBTQ uh, plus community? What about um all the other races and different things like that. And so then once we get to that point, what are we allowed to say? Um, if we're making the internet just like a happy hunk of door place because we're not allowed to say anything, even though we know real life doesn't reflect that. I don't know. I don't know. Um, is that the answer? I do. I think we could even like realistically get to that kind of answer anytime soon. No, but I just still think it's up. I don't know how to like actually put it in practice. And again, like it would, because people are going to adapt. That's the hard thing. Even if you said, okay, can't say N word. Okay. Well then ninjas are, you know, like there's so many, the ninja emoji has became like the new thing to mean that. Like there's so many different, things and then how do you prove like okay well this is offensive and this should be um no and then i think that are we gonna are we gonna ban are we gonna ban ninjas then because it became the de facto replacement for the word that we could right like and then the ninja emoji is no longer gonna be there right like i mean i've seen that um tiktok like when people are singing along the side okay instead of saying that they'll say ninja now in that situation i'm like okay bro like just skip the word. Like if you gonna say ninja, just just skip it. It's not that hard. But that's not hate speech. So it's like it's hard. It's gonna be hard. Um, and then I think once we get to um within our own groups, how are we gonna police it? Do I think there should be some form of policing? Kinda. Uh because I think everybody's still what's acceptable and what you're gonna allow won't be. Okay, there was this other situation. I don't remember the state, but it was some kids. It was started by, he was half Brazilian and half black. Uh, He started this petition to bring slavery back, right? And so that got other black kids assigned it, an Asian kid, a white, a half Asian kid and whatever. And so um, getting in trouble, I think, uh, I know one had to go to alternative school. I'm not sure about the other ones. They did some form of punishment, but that argument was made too. Okay, these these people are part of the group that would be oppressed in that situation if slavery came back. So who is it to say that it is not within your own free speech to then go make a petition to where you would be the one affected? Who is to tell you you can't do that? Now, obviously, they just did that, so go back to school and not have it on their record. But 
in that situation, do I still think it's wrong? Yeah, because you're, you're creating potential harm for other kids that now see this and think, okay, well, black people do want to be treated like slaves and they agree. They think that they would be better off. And then, you know, at least we'd all have jobs because that was kind of the thing like going around with the joke of it is like, well, you know, black people would have jobs again. Um, how do you do that? How do you tell somebody? Do you just say, okay, well, don't bring back slavery for all black people. Just bring back slavery for me. Then that would be free speech, right? But I don't know if you making a blanket statement that would harm your own group of people how would you handle that? So I don't know. I think there's like a lot of things um, I think are wrong and I think there should have an answer too. I just don't know exactly what that answer would look like. Mm-hmm. So fair enough. Have we have we settled the free speech versus hate speech debate once <laughs> and for all? <laughs> um, it was a step. <laughs> Direction. It, was step, it was a step back. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up because we're coming on the two-hour mark. But before you go, I have two questions for you. On a scale of one to ten, uh, ten being uh, very much so you enjoyed it and one being not at all, how much did you enjoy being a guest on the Black News Podcast? 20. That's hyperbolic. I don't like that. I want a real answer. A 10. <laughs> and you didn't tell any jokes, so I appreciate that. What does a rabbit use? No, when it gets no, 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 no. A hair dryer. It's too long. A hair dryer. Why do you? Deep. You're so close. I'm going to cut that off. Uh, uh, on a scale of one to ten, uh, ten being very likely, one being not. That's my free uh, speech, how Jason. How likely are you? That's hate speech. How likely are you to come back on the podcast? Ten. If you let me tell a joke. If I no, I'm not letting you tell any jokes. So zero. <laughs> All right. Uh, now I appreciate you. Um, do you want to give any um, more information about your book? Um, do you do you know any more, or is it too early still? I mean, um, that's going to be something I kind of explore in the book too. Um, how free, the free speech argument is weaponized against kids that are being bullied, specifically uh, with race bullying, because we have. The built-in um, excuses of, well, this was your decision to take it offensively. Oh, it was just a joke or, oh. Mm-mm. Those words don't reflect it. So that, that's kind of, that's one of the chapters. It's a glimpse. Uh, you, you cut out a little bit, but we got most of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So... So to summarize, you, you got to do a chapter on how the free speech uh, thing is weaponized against uh, black kids in particular. Yeah, black kids and, and like, like wanting to stand up to the ring because it's being seen as, well, you're, you're choosing to take offense or there's really no issue going on. And then you, uh, and if you don't want to broach this subject too much, you don't have to, but uh, my understanding is that you personally uh, have dealt with bullying in various different ways and that's also the subject matter of your book so did you want to say anything about about that you can give detail as much detail or little detail as you want but i thought it'd be interesting to close with maybe how this affects you personally and why and helps my audience understand why you are championing this um well that was a large part of the case as well like well with my case is that 
the argument was being, even though it wasn't just one comment, one situation, it was multiple comments. Like I had a diary full of today, this happened today. This was said today, you know, going on and on. And it was repeated racial commentary, um, degrading black people are, uh, you know, continuing stereotypes. It was that it was my fault for being offended. Um, and because I was offended, that made me an outlier and that was my decision to be an outlier. Um, I want kids to know that you can have your standards and that you can stand up so it doesn't make you the issue. That if you think that a joke are repeated jokes and um, you having to be the punchline of every conversation makes you an issue, you're not the issue, that you can still, uh, you can stand up, you can be strong and you can find joy in your life and continue it is on um, continue whatever it may be and succeed so <laughs> fair enough well i appreciate you so much uh for coming on the show on the podcast and um i know that you're you're actually <laughs> wow you're actively you're actively writing your book and you've relayed to me on several occasions uh kind of what that's like so actually just the last question is what is that like is it, is it a is it hard work yeah man so initially i had it as a traditional memoir and that was way easier because that was just you know reliving everything i felt um but i talked to an editor who helped me out his name is todd hunter anybody's looking for an editor but he told me that he thought i could reach a wider group of people if i made it kind of like a series of essays and addressing different things that kids go through so one of the well bullied kids uh, go through and one being, you know, the free speech, another being um, disciplinary discrepancies and just different things that target uh, black kids more or only when they're trying to stand up to bullying. And so that's what I decided to do because I want this to help that kid that is being bullied, that is being told uh, you're being too sensitive. Um, there's really no issue here. You need to go along to get along. And that's who I want to reach. So it's been a process more so trying to open it up and be more critical in finding specific policies to target and uh, fix. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on, uh, especially after your book comes out so you can promo that. Can I tell jokes? No, you're not allowed to tell jokes ever, but you can, uh, you can read, you can read excerpts from your book. Okay. Are you going to be on the cover? Are you going to put yourself on the cover? I am. You want to know what the name is? Of the book? The working name? Yeah. No, because what if you change it? I want it to be like new if you come back. I said working name, but fine. I know. That's what yeah, I'm saying. It's going to be a picture. I haven't decided if I'm going to have like a basketball jersey on or not. I think I should because it's basketball centered, but we'll see. Okay. Keep working on your jumper. <laughs> You always be trying to challenge me to one on one, like like you have a chance. It's weird. I don't know why you think that. You will be dogged. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold back just because you're a woman, because gender equality. Look, you don't want this weight. I'm, I'm not afraid to. I'm not. I'm not afraid to dunk on you either. All get right. The braces ready. I don't need those. You better get gonna, that's, Yeah, that's how we're gonna have the next one. It's gonna be like in between. <laughs> in between. <laughs> We're gonna, have, we're gonna say footage of me destroy you, but it's not. I don't get anything out of that by beating you. It's like, yeah, whatever. A dude beat a woman, whatever. 
But if you beat me, then it's like, oh, it's the, okay. ma- it's the, it's the matriarchy. <laughs> I'm done with you. Yeah. All right. All right, I'm gonna bring you off, hang back, um, and then I'm gonna end it. So don't go anywhere. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the latest episode of the Black Muse Podcast. I'm very, very happy about how that went. We really, really bolstered the case or the side uh, of hate speech, but we did interact in a way, although I wasn't as aggressive as I could have been, with with the hate speech, uh, excuse me, the free speech challenges to some of the hate speech positions. Um, and I think ultimately we concluded that it's quite the conundrum and we probably didn't settle it, but we made a step in the right direction. Um, but yeah, uh, love the episode. Hope y'all enjoyed it. And until next time, peace.